This is Radio 316. Let's say you're walking down the street and you see a man. And this man is clearly down. This man is clearly blue. His head is hanging. His eyes have been crying. And he's like this every time that you've encountered him. Now, you're no doctor, but you know this gentleman is depressed. What you don't know is that he's also a Christian. This is a man of faith. Now, how can that be? How can you have faith and yet still suffer from depression? Can Christians be depressed? And if so, then why? We'll consider this question and others in today's broadcast. Chapter 1. Introduction When you hear the word depression, what does that word mean to you? How would you define it? For most of us, the word depression has become a euphemism that we use when we're feeling sad. In other words, if we're feeling particularly blue or we're going through an emotionally challenging season, we might say that we're feeling depressed. In one sense, this word does apply. Depression can involve feeling sad or feeling blue, especially when our circumstances have gone down the drain. On the other hand, depression can be much more than that. You see, what trained professionals call clinical or major depression is not simply an emotion or a mood that you happen to be in on one particular day, but it is considered a disorder or cognitive impairment that can be with you even on the best of days. In other words, it is much more than just a temporary sadness. It can be a function of our genetics, of our health, of our physiology, things that we have very little control over. And so, yes, someone might be sad because of a recent loss or a difficult situation, but that might be a secondary cause and not the actual source of their underlying depression. The real source could be their nature, their wiring, and this is why people can be clinically depressed even when life seems to be going just fine. So to reiterate, there is a difference between feeling sad, which happens to all of us, and living with clinical depression. The first is an emotion that all mankind can face, and the second is a disorder that affects a smaller minority. Now, before we continue, how do professionals define depression? The Mayo Clinic, the Mayo Clinic defines depression this way. They say that depression is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and loss of interest. Also called major depressive disorder or clinical depression, it affects how you feel, how you think and behave and can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems. You may have trouble doing day-to-day activities and sometimes you may feel as if life isn't worth living. In short, the Mayo Clinic and others identified depression as a disorder. This suggests an impairment to our overall mental health and not just a temporary emotional state that we might be going through one given day or week. As we said a few moments ago, we can all be sad. We can all undergo situational depression. However, clinical depression is in its own category. Clinical depression is not something that the individual can just will away or wait until life circumstances improve. Generally speaking, this sort of diagnosis may require some form of treatment. 
And speaking of treatment, there are other forms of depression that may require treatment by trained professionals as well. These include persistent depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, seasonal effectiveness disorder, postpartum depression, and several others. Now let's go back to the image of the man who cries himself to sleep every day. When you or I encounter someone like this, someone who looks like they're just feeling down and out, what's our typical advice? Well, we might tell them to chin up. We might tell them to take it one day at a time. We might tell them the sun will come out tomorrow. And all of those things, all of those things and others that are well-intentioned, we're just trying to get people to focus on the positive instead of dwelling on their negative thoughts or emotions. However, that presupposes that the thoughts going through someone's head are the primary issue. And maybe they are. But as we suggested a moment ago, maybe they're not. You see, telling people who are suffering from a mental disorder that could be tied to their genetics or physiology or the like, telling them to just think happy thoughts, that's not a cure-all. Happy thoughts may help for a short while, for a moment, and happy thoughts are certainly biblical. Philippians 4 tells us to meditate on that which is good. However, a professional psychologist would say that the catalyst for someone's tears may not only be their thoughts, but their body. If someone has a brain tumor, modifying their thoughts will not necessarily remove the tumor or the underlying condition. In the same way, if depression is a byproduct of one's physiology, then altering one's thoughts may be helpful for an hour, a day, or a week. However, however, the underlying condition remains. Now, I've said all this by way of intro because it's important for those of us who do not suffer from depression to recognize that people who are undergoing clinical or major depression or other similar forms cannot just overcome a condition that's driven by their own physiology, by their willpower alone. In a sense, these folks are engaged in a war, a war that one's mind and body is waging against themselves. And that war can be manifest in a number of different unpleasant symptoms that they can't necessarily control. Now, as we wrap up this segment, what kind of symptoms are we talking about? Well, they can vary from mild to severe. They can include feeling sad or having a darkened mood. They can include the inability to sit still, to have fatigue, loss of interest in activities, feeling bad about oneself or guilty, having suicidal thoughts, changes in appetite, weight loss, weight gain, difficulty thinking, making decisions, all these things and more. Now, all of that can be brought on by one situation. If you've lost a loved one, the stress from that loss can cripple you in several departments, as can other challenging circumstances that we face. But for some, one's sense of depression can be a function of their physiology, their genetics, illnesses, a change in the season, and so on. And so, if you sense that you are suffering from depression that's rooted in your physiology rather than your circumstances, you should speak to a medical professional. There's no stigma in seeking professional assistance or treatment. If a man has cancer, he should see an oncologist, a cancer doctor. The same holds true for mental health as well. The brain is an organ, and because of that, it's reasonable and appropriate to seek the advice of trained professionals when that organ becomes impaired. With that said, in today's broadcast, we're not going to linger on the physiological aspects of mental health. There are other resources and professionals that can assist you better in that department. Rather, our focus is going to be on the spiritual component, the treatment, and the origins of depression. In our next segment, we'll consider that spiritual origin in greater depth. 
Chapter 2. The Origins of Depression You know, every person, place, thing, or sense has a beginning. Everything has a start, if you look back far enough. So the question is, when did a mental disorder like depression begin? What was the origin of this particular impairment? Well, secular sources would answer that question in a variety of different ways. But theologically, as Christians, we would trace depression's origin back to the origin of all of mankind's other problems. And that's back to the fall. See, when it comes to creation, Christianity declares two things from the book of Genesis. The first is that everything we see in the world around us was brought about by the will and volition of a creator God. Secondly, we believe that this God made everything good, at least initially. Initially, every aspect of creation was good. From the get-go, the garden was a type of heaven itself. This was a place where our first parents lived without stain or sin. This was a place where Adam and Eve did not suffer from depression or anxiety or dark thoughts or anything. But that didn't last, did it? So what happened? Well, that's a much longer story, but in Genesis 3, we read that mankind rejected the one law that God had given him to keep, and the consequences were exactly what God told them they'd be, death. Whereas the created realm had previously been free of death and sickness and disease and the like, the fall of man into sin thrust all of creation into chaos. We call this the fall. And as a result, guess what? Man's own nature became subject to all manner of physical, mental, and spiritual ailments, including those that affect his cognitive state and his mental well-being. And so to answer our earlier question of where did depression come from, if you want to trace the origin of depression back to a specific time or place or circumstance, then you'd have to trace it back to the fall. Prior to Adam's fall, there was no sign of Adam's tears. There's no picture we have of Adam crying in a corner of the garden. Prior to Adam's fall, there's no hint of depression or discontent. But after the fall, after the fall was a whole nother deal. After the fall, death and misery entered in. And guess what? Depression came with it. Have you ever heard of the noetic effect of sin? If you have, then bless your heart, and, and maybe you should get out more often. So what is this? What is the noetic effect of sin? Let me explain. You see, it's easy to look in the mirror, to look at our wrinkles and diseases and cancers and the like, and to see how sin has messed up our bodies. Most of us just have to look in the mirror to see the ongoing, persistent, and chronic effect of sin in our flesh, which can be traced to the fall. But we often forget how bad sin has messed up our minds as well. The noetic effect of sin is a phrase theologians use to describe sin's effect on the human mind. To put it bluntly, sin makes us stupid. Sin makes us forgetful. Sin has turned our brains into Swiss cheese. We are all cognitively impaired. We just don't know how deep that impairment runs. Now, if you want to test this out for yourself, 
try to remember what color socks you wore last Tuesday. Try to remember the state capital of Vermont. Try to remember seventh grade algebra. The amount of information that we've taken in and subsequently and sometimes immediately forgot, it's overwhelming. We forget things. We misremember other things. And given enough time, we will all slide into either low-grade or high-grade dementia. In short, our brains and cognitive functions are every bit as messed up by the fall as the rest of our body is. And because they're so messed up, they are prone to a host of disorders and impairments, of which depression is one of the most frequent. And so to summarize this segment, a theological study on the ontology, the nature, or the doctrine of man would conclude that clinical depression and other disorders, you know, schizophrenia, being OCD, being bipolar, all of it can be traced to the fall. For that matter, all physical and mental afflictions have the exact same source. One man may have skin cancer, the other may have clinical depression, but the spiritual common denominator for both is sin. Chapter 3. Scriptural Examples of Depression When you think of the men and women of Scripture, do you think that any of them suffered from depression? Well, it's probably not wise to diagnose people who've been dead for over two millennia, but we can at least examine some of the symptoms that they displayed. Let's start with King David. Of all the people in the Bible, we probably know more about the inner workings of David's mind than anyone else. Now, why is that? Why do we know more about the inner workings of David's mind than anyone else in Scripture? Well, the reason is because of his contributions to the largest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms. You see, David didn't write all the Psalms, but he did write nearly half, about 73 of the Psalms, or David's. And in these Psalms, David poured out his heart. He poured out his heart before God. He sang of his love for God, but he also sang of his own fears and anxieties about the world around him. He sang of things like heartache and heartbreak. And he also sang of sin, of discouragement, of disappointment, of desperation. King David may have been a king, but he was also a man just like us and could relate to many of our timeless concerns about living life in this hard and fallen world. Now, in Psalm 38, we see one clear example of the concerns and the weight on his heart. When David wrote these words, he said, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down. I'm brought low. All day long, I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I'm feeble. I'm utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails. Even the light has gone from my eyes, O Lord. Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord, my God. Now, as I said a few moments ago, I don't want to try and diagnose David or anyone else in the Bible, but would it be reasonable from these verses and from the other 73 Psalms to conclude that these words were written by someone who suffered at times from symptoms of depression? Could we at least conclude that? Well, yes, absolutely. Now, could that depression or whatever David was going through, could it have been self-induced through sins or bad life choices? Could it have had spiritual, psychological, or physiological components? Sure, possibly. But whatever the case, David knew something that you might know something about, the dark nights of the soul. And because of that, if you're wondering whether you can be a Christian or a believer in God and still have storm clouds blanketing your thoughts, the answer is unequivocally yes. 
David was a man after God's own heart, and he's just one example of this. There's many other heroes from Scripture we could choose from. There's Elijah. Remember him crying under the sycamore tree. There's Job, who went through the hardest season a man can experience. There's Jeremiah, who was literally referred to as the weeping prophet. These guys knew a thing or two about stress, mental hardship, anxiety, and depression. Even Christ himself is referred to as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. If you're broken today, broken in heart, broken in spirit, then know this, you are in good biblical company. With that said, if you read the Psalms, or the rest of the Bible for that matter, you'll see that sorrows do not have the last word. When David cried out, God responded. God comforted him. When Elijah cried out, God responded in a still small voice. The tenderness of God is on display. God doesn't leave us wallowing forever in our tears. In fact, he's appointed a day when every last one of them, every last tear will be wiped away. That's the promise, Revelation 21. That's the great promise where he says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In those verses from Revelation, we're reminded that our story ends well. No matter how bad today might be, your story ends well. If your life is like a book, then you may be living in a particularly dark and scary chapter right now. But if you could just flip to the end, if you could just flip to the end of your story, you would see that a perfect joyful ending is on the horizon. A day is coming when all the tears will be wiped away. All the brokenness will be made right. And it will stay that way on into eternity. Depression does not win. So don't give in to it or indulge it as if it does. With that said, the promise of Revelation 21 might be a ways out. It might still be on our horizon. So what are we supposed to do in the meanwhile? Well, Scripture would call us to soldier on. It would call us to fight sin, to fight doubts, to fight the darkness, to fight the accusing voices from within and perhaps without. The Apostle Paul could relate to what you're going through because he went through it too. And that's why he said this in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes, not on that which is seen, but on that which is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. As we said in our previous segment, depression can have roots in both our psyche and physiology. And because that's true, it can be hard just to overcome it by thinking good thoughts. It can be short-term on the one hand, but it can be chronic on the other hand. And if it is chronic, it may require some form of ongoing treatment. But no matter the case, it is temporary. No matter the case, no matter the diagnosis, it is temporary. If you're suffering from depression as a fallen individual living in a fallen world, just remember this. You are made for something better. You were made for days that are better than today. Even on his very worst days, King David remembered this. And what's more, he remembered that he wasn't in this fight alone. 
And that's why he said this in Psalm 34. He said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Chapter 4, Five Closing Thoughts With our remaining time, let's consider five biblical precepts to help us cope with depression. Now, the first comes from the verse that we just mentioned a few moments ago, that you are not alone. In other words, the Lord is close, close to the brokenhearted, close to those who are crushed in spirit. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 34. And it's not hyperbole. God invites you to cast your cares, to cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Secondly, remember that the Bible is filled with folks who can relate to your circumstances and to what you're feeling. The men and women of Scripture were not any stronger than you are. Just like you and I, they were trying to make it through a fallen world while living in fallen bodies and being beset by fallen ills. And so, given the difficulty of our shared terrain, how did they make it through tough and dark days? How did they make it through the valley, so to speak? Well, the answer is this, by faith. Hebrews 11 says this. It says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. Hebrews 11 lists a whole bunch of men and women who suffered from various trials and travails, and all of them ultimately prevailed over it. That's the message of Hebrews 11. They all ultimately prevailed over it by looking ahead to something better. If you're a believer, the same will be true for you. Your story ends well. Thirdly, we need to remember that although medical and psychological treatments can help manage and alleviate certain symptoms of depression, there are also some primary spiritual means that God has appointed for His children. Take advantage of them. They include prayer, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, time in God's Word, and even the presence of ministering angels. You remember Christ experienced that in the wilderness and in Gethsemane. Now, these are just some spiritual tools by which we can help cope with dark days. And even some of the most famous pastors in history, guys like Luther, Charles Spurgeon, experienced depression, and they weren't above it just because they were pastors. These men knew what it was like to be a Christian and to simultaneously feel broken. But they also took advantage of the spiritual tools that God had put at their disposal. And they, I'm sure, would encourage you to do the same. Fourthly, another spiritual tool that God has given us is the church. In centuries past, mental health was not understood or diagnosed very well by society, including in the church. In centuries past, there was a stigma that was attached to depression and other impairments. But in our modern age, most of our institutions, and especially in church, we've developed a far more informed approach to those who are suffering. And because of that, there may be right now a body of believers on your street, in your neighborhood that has folks who can come alongside you, folks who can help share your burden and offer friendship, offer encouragement. Now, not every church is perfect. It goes without saying. Not every church is perfect, and not every church will do these things equally well. And Sometimes you have to be patient with others in a church family just as they're patient with you. But none of us, mark my words, none of us are meant to suffer alone. So be sure to seek out churches and faith-based resources. Finally, our fifth and closing point in today's broadcast is this. Although depression may be caused or exacerbated by circumstances that we cannot control, it's important that we try to rein in our thoughts when they grow dark. In other words, the thoughts that you think when you're at your lowest point, they're not necessarily the truth. 
Depression lies to us. Depression invites us to believe things that aren't so, to believe things that aren't true, to believe things that aren't real. The thoughts that you think when distressed in that way are not necessarily the authentic you. Do you understand this? You see, you have to be careful not to make life-altering decisions when depression or anxiety or fear is at its apex because those moments are not representative of your life or your outlook as a whole. And so instead, sometimes of just listening to yourself in those dark moments, try this instead. Try talking to yourself. That was, was J.I. Packer. That was his advice. When you're down, remind yourself of God's promises. When you're down, remind yourself of the value you have in the eyes of your maker. When you're down, remind yourself of what's really true and what's really important in life. Remind yourself that your God is right next to you even now. And remind yourself that he cares for you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how unlovable you may feel. Your Savior will not wait until you're worthy before he opens his arms to you. They're open right now. That's what he said in Matthew 11, which we'll close with. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you for joining us for today's broadcast. To check out other studies or content, please visit us at r316.org. This is Radio 316.